Hi there, I'm Sarah Zarella, a portrait and wedding photographer and your host for Wedding Secrets Unveiled. This is a podcast where we cut through the complexity of wedding planning, leaving you with everything you need to know direct from the industry experts. If you want to simplify your wedding planning while having fun, of course, you came to the right place. Join me while I guide you through your planning, starting from your engagement to your big day where you say, I do. After photographing for the past 18 years, I am sharing with you tips and tricks to cut through the excess noise because I believe from the moment you said yes, your planning experience should be a magical time in your life. Here you'll find episodes that are fun, stress-free, and straight to the point with a fresh, honest take about the reality of what you really need to know about planning your perfect day. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Wedding Secrets Unveiled podcast, friends. So we're a little over a year now with this podcast, and I want to thank you all for listening. It's because of you why we're here. And we just try to fill you with nice, useful tips and tricks and help you with your wedding planning process. And as you know, we release an episode biweekly on Thursdays. And every now and then, I'll stick a show guest in here that doesn't pertain particularly to your actual wedding planning, but pertains to like your planning in general. I mean, you are about to get married. And so there's a lot of things happening. So we've had attorneys on here before we've had financial planners. But today we're going to have one of my really dear friends, Danielle Gervais from Providence Mortgage on here. And she's going to talk a little bit about like first time home buyers, setting yourself up for success with your credit, how to get your down payments it going and also too a little bit about in this crazy world that we're in right now with the housing industry and the inventory being so low how can you be the most competitive when you are putting in your offers so I would love for you to sit back relax and enjoy my conversation with Danielle a little bit off the track about wedding planning but it still pertains to you because you are in that part of your life so I hope that you learn a little bit about how to set yourself up for success when purchasing your first home. Well, welcome, Danielle. Thanks for having me, Sarah. I'm excited to be here. I know. I'm very excited for you to share your knowledge with all of our listeners. I'm excited, too. You know I have a history of having a radio show, so I might be a little rusty, but I'm excited because it's something I've always loved and had a passion for. Well, you're not rusty. You just, you're just you a natural-born radio voice, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you. I've known you, Danielle, for many, many, many years. Danielle is a dear friend of mine. But for the listeners, can you tell everybody who you are, who you serve, and what you do in your business? Sure. So my name is Danielle Gervais. I'm a senior mortgage advisor with Province Mortgage Associates. Um, So I help people buy and refinance their homes, um, help them accomplish any of their financial goals, whether it might be to consolidate debt, to get some cash out for home improvements, how to structure their purchase transaction, how to make them most competitive in this market that we've been living for the last several years. Um, so I have been in the industry for 25 plus years. It's crazy, isn't it? That's crazy. I've lived through a lot, but I so enjoy my business. I like the challenges of it, and I'm happy to be here today. I um, just wanted to pretty much dive right in so yeah. for, for our listeners. I mean, a lot of you all are planning on getting married. Maybe some of you are already married. Maybe some of you um, have children who are about to get married. So this is the episode for people who are thinking about buying their homes. Correct. So with that said, it's 
let's say someone wants to take the plunge. Yeah. And they are a first-time home buyer, mm-hmm. which can be super overwhelming, but exciting. It is. It's very exciting, but there's a lot of steps, right? right. It's something they've never done before, right? So what are those steps? All right. So I would say the very first thing that you need to prepare yourself for is figuring out your budget. Okay, so as far as a budget's concerned, there's what's called a debt ratio in mortgages. And maybe I'll get into that a little bit later, which is it will tell me what you can afford. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's what you personally can afford. Right. So in situations where um, what I like to have a client do is kind of work out their own budget and figure out what they can spend. So um, some people do not spend a lot of money. Some people you know, during the month. Some people are saying, I can't go without getting my nails done twice a week and going out to dinner this many times a week. And, or I am also paying for my child to be in private school. Some of those things I won't be able to see. Um, but so what I'd like them to do is try and figure out their own budget and what they feel they can afford. I can always tell them on paper what they can afford, but you're the one that's going to be making the payments, right? So, um, obviously working out a budget and if you're trying to buy for the first time and you're trying to loosen your budget a little bit, you need to kind of look through the last several months and see maybe if there's things that you can cut from your budget. Um, you know, maybe you don't need the HBO channel or you don't need the Starbucks every day or whatever it may be and see how much you can save as far as that's concerned. Um, and then my biggest tool that I like people to experience because a lot of times they're clueless, not necessarily clueless, but don't know what they can afford. Right. So say you're paying right now $1,200 in rent and you want to buy a certain price range house and that price range comes out to $1,800, right? So what I like them to try and do is at least for six to 12 months prior, if the time allows, that they take that difference, right? So if they're used to paying $1,200, they are renting right now. They take that extra $600 every month and religiously put that in the bank as savings and see if they can actually, at the end of the month, afford that $1,800. So what like that real also life, does- real, real life practicability of the, of the, of the gap for right. the savings. What that also does is it now gives you down payment money mm-hmm. by the time you're done with the six months, the 12 months, whatever Ooh, it may smart be. smart little tip. Right? So that's definitely one that I like them to live it, experience it, and see if they can actually do it. So you they figured out their budget with you. Then what's next? Um, so next you got to figure out what you're going to do as far as a down payment, right? So different lending programs have different down payment requirements, Right. And you can obviously use your savings, which we just talked about. You can use retirement funds. You can get gifts from family members. So say mom and dad want to give you $10,000 towards your down payment. That's acceptable. Um, You cannot get gift funds from people that are not, you know, family. Or you can't actually prove that you have a longstanding relationship with this person. So it can't be your you know, boyfriend's father if you're the only person on the line. Hey, out of curiosity, how do they prove that you don't have a longstanding relationship with so, them? So, all right, so perfect example. <laughs> That's a great example. So I had a client once tell me um, I'm getting a gift, but I'm not actually um, related to this person, but they have been in my life my entire life. I'm like, okay, tell me how long. Uh, well, it's actually my godmother, but I'm not related. Okay, do you have a baptismal certificate? 
And literally, they had to get their baptismal certificate to show the longstanding relationship. For the underwriters. Interesting. Right. So, they, so there's they, ways. There's ways. There's ways. Yep. So um, so that would be gifts. Um, gifts of equity, which I can talk a little bit about when it's like um, a situation with family members selling houses to each other. Um, that's a really interesting one. It's a trend I've been seeing quite a bit lately because inventory so low. We can maybe talk about that a little bit later. Um, and then there's always the down payment loans and assistance and grants that might be available either through Rhode Island Housing or a particular town or city. Um, so those have different requirements. Um, wedding money is mm-hmm. one. So we can get into that. If one your a guests bit. were generous. <laughs> right, right. And then obviously then the other thing you got to think about is closing costs. So there's cost involved with buying a property. So. Um, are you going to try and roll them into your purchase price? There's also uh, closing cost loans through Rhode Island Housing to cover those. Um, so that would be the next step. What, what do I got for funds? And there are programs that are 100% financing where you don't need a down payment. But these are all things you need to start looking into, figuring out what you're going to be using. So we talked a little bit about budgeting. budgeting. We talked a little bit about like down payments mm-hmm. and savings and whatnot. But what about things that can affect your approval? I yes. mean, how can you even get a, like, how can you even help, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, help yourself get approved for all of what you want to buy. Right, right. So the main three, and there are a myriad of other ones, but the main three are the what we call the three C's, and that's credit, capacity, and collateral. So the first one would be credit or your willingness to pay. And... Um, that also affects how your loan will be priced. So what your interest rate would be, if you have mortgage insurance, what your mortgage insurance is more expensive if your credit score is lower, or different products don't even let you in if you don't have a certain minimum credit score. So credit score is very important. So for the listeners, can you give us a little bit about like what the average credit score that you're seeing, like just put that into like like reality a little bit. All right, so. I know there's a lot of things that affect it, but just right. for credit, that that way right so most products right now have a minimum of 620 or 640 and um but that's not going to be the best priced payment right so if you're up in the you know the 740s the 760s and above you are stellar perfect you're going to get premium pricing on both your interest rate and also your mortgage insurance, if you have mortgage insurance. And then additionally, some of these down payment loans and grants and things of that nature may require a minimum credit score for you to be able to get them. So it might be something like if you want this $10,000 grant, you need to have a minimum of a 680 credit score. So a lot of things factor into the pricing of the loan and the most important one would be credit. Um, So what is confusing out there is there are several different credit scoring models. So I'm sure you've seen the commercials on TV mm-hmm. and the different ways that you can, you know, check your credit score. But not all the models are what's used for mortgages. We use the true FICO score. So some of them might start in a range of 300 and some of them start in 500. So you might think going on one of these that you have a 760 credit score and you're perfect. But if you're using the wrong model, you might only be a... 600 through FICO. And also, too, for the listeners, too, who are thinking about, like, getting married and then purchasing their home, like, right now, do you suggest that they start pulling their credit score to start looking at their credit score to start planning in advance? Yes. And that's so that's a great lead into my next point. So 
you can go on for free once a year to what's called annualcreditreport.com. That is the one where you can get your free credit reports, that it's an actual credit report through the credit reporting service. And you can look on there and you're going to look to see if there's anything that's incorrect. You're going to look and see if, you know, a lot of times, like let's say dad's name's David, son's name's David. A lot of times their credit can get commingled. And if dad has late payments, it could be affecting your credit score. So the earlier you get on that and start looking into that, and a lot of these um, credit reporting sites will give you ideas of what you can do to increase your credit score. Um, one of the main ones that can affect your credit score very quickly is if you have a credit card. Let's say your limit is $1,000. And every single month you you find, you find charge up to $900. And you let's say you pay it off, $900 mm -hmm. every month. But you're using a majority of your credit limit, right? So you want to bring that down to 50 or 30% and not charge more than that. Or open new cards to give you more available or, credit or to bring ask for a, a credit increase if you can for your credit card. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, absolutely. You could do that too because all of that helps. Now, obviously, late payments, it's going to be just the time that has passed since you've had a late payment. There's not much you can do about a late payment. But as far as credit utilization, that would be the easiest one, the quickest one to impact a credit score. So for our listeners, a little nugget that you just gave them is go pull your credit report if you haven't done so for your free one this year and start looking at ways to improve your credit. Right. And then so the next one would be obviously setting up auto pays on things. So a lot of times it's not that people can't afford it. It's just that you know, slip of the mind, they got busy, they forgot to do something, set up auto payments because that's going to improve your overall credit history over time. Um, the next one would be... Well, going back to the three Cs, credit, which we explained now, capacity, right? Uh, yes. So capacity is your ability to pay, which would be your income, right? So there's several factors that play into your income. Uh, we look at your gross monthly income versus your debts. That's what, what your debt ratio would be, right? So your debts, meaning all the things that show up on your credit report, your monthly payments for those, including your new mortgage payment. And then the other caveat is when they look at your bank statements, if they see a reoccurring payment that is not on your credit report, that will get added in as well. Oh, interesting. So give us like a like an example for that. A credit card that doesn't report to the credit reporting agencies. Oh, I never knew that that was out there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Really? Yep. Yep. I thought every single thing. That no. You like your there. utilities and things of that oh, nature are oh, not right, on right, there. Right. Um, that I know. Yeah. Right. So things that you are obligated to pay, not right. something that you choose to pay. That's right? why they pull your bank statements. Well, they pull your bank statements for several reasons. They're <laughs> looking for large deposit. There's a, we could go for hours on all these topics. You know that. Um, but when we're talking about credit, they're looking at your willingness to pay and they're looking at your track record over years. Mm -hmm. Right. So so even if you make a ton of money, if you're just someone that's lazy about paying your bills, then that could potentially be a problem, right? So that's why the auto pay comes into play right. and is very helpful. Um, and then you might just have a limited credit, not enough credit. So do you need to go and open some more accounts to establish credit to get to a point where you are generating a credit score and there's a long enough history for a lender to make a decision? And then the next thing would be, let's say, husband and wife 
are buying a house together and one's credit score is great and one is not so great, mm -hmm. they're going to go off of the lower of the two if you're Ooh. both applying for the loan. That's a good point that you brought up, especially for our listeners. Exactly. You, you all should be thinking about this because you're joining together. So maybe start pulling those credit reports because they are going to go off of the, the lesser. The lesser of the two. So yes. if, in other words, if you have uh, borrower one and borrower two, if borrower one makes a, a majority of the income, you might look at pulling off borrower two to be able to price everything off of the higher score. But if you need the income of both, then unfortunately the pricing is going to be ba uh, based on the lower of the two. Or like say, for example, you know, someone falls short of what they know they can afford. You know, so so basically either they can't use their spouse's credit score because right. it's just too low. Right. Maybe they're self-employed and they can't show their, right. their income. What happens? Well, the one idea that comes to mind, and there's probably more than one, but uh, you could use a cosigner. So a cosigner isn't necessarily for like bringing up the credit score of the loan. I think a lot of people miss, you know, they confuse that. It's bringing in additional income, income. over and above what they already pay to make your situation more stable so that you could then purchase something higher than what you're, what you can show as qualifying. And it doesn't necessarily mean like there could be a um, a job gap so they can't use your new job because you only have been on it for a month, but you're making great money type of thing. Right. So th certain situations where you can't use the income, but you know it's coming in, then you add maybe mom or dad and they are also responsible for the loan. Right. So that would be one of those scenarios um, as far as the credit is concerned. So, um, so that basically finishes the the credit, which is the willingness to pay, right? Mm -hmm. The next one would be capacity. So you're a, oh, no, I'm sorry, we just covered capacity. So that was the income, um, and they're going to look at your stability. So they're looking at a two year job history in the same field is the best case scenario. So like you said, if there's a job gap, that's when a cosigner can start to come in to. Right. And right. you can have a job gap. Mm -hmm. You know, it just depends on how long the job gap is and how long you've been out of, you know, the working market, let's say. Um, it must be crazy right now, especially with what we just went through with COVID. COVID. It was, it's insane. You yes. know, because a lot of people did have job gaps or a lot of people didn't make as much as they normally do. So that is a little got speed more bump. Strict. It definitely Ooh. got more yeah. strict with that. You know, they know the industries that were severely impacted, right? So they were kind of looking at those types of things more closely. Um, they also noticed like fluctuating hours, right? So let's say you worked at the casino in the past and you were, you know, working a ton of hours and then all of a sudden your hours got cut or you were furloughed for a while, whatever it may be, all of those things kind of impact how they can determine what you have for income. So um, fluctuating hours has been an issue. The furloughing has been an issue. People losing jobs, getting out of the job market for a long period of time, trying to find new jobs. The other big part of it that got impacted through COVID was self-employed people, right? So we have a lot of industries where they might have doing amazing before COVID and then COVID hit and it just crushed their industry. So they've gotten more strict with that. So with COVID, with um, self-employed borrowers, it's always been a rule of thumb that you need to have go off of the last two years of income based on your tax returns and what you actually filed. 
So they do a calculation based on that. But then they're also going to be looking at your bank statements. So if you're saying, uh, based on your tax returns, that you're showing, you know, profit of, you know, your uh, income of five thousand dollars a month, they're looking at your bank statement to see if you're seeing deposits of about five thousand dollars a month to make sure you didn't trend down or lose a majority of income. And then they're also looking at a profit and loss for the current year to see what your income is. So um, it's gotten a little stricter for self-employed industry as far as that's concerned. Um, and then um, the other thing that people don't necessarily know is, like, let's say you're going to school to be a nurse and you graduated nursing school and now you're a nurse and you've only been employed for a month, two months, you can actually tie in that degree with your your schooling degree with your job so it does cover that two-year history. But it would have to be in the industry that you're actually in or what you went to school for. And then again, it's always based on your income versus your spending habits. You might make a ton of income, but if you're overextended, you may not be able to afford certain things or you know you might have limited income but you have an extremely high car payment you know that's really going to mess with what you can afford to buy a house so danielle with the three c's you covered credit you covered capacity the third one you said was collateral so let's kind of talk a little bit about that yes so this is a real quick one this is basically the property itself right so they're going to be looking at the value of the property versus similar houses in that area they're going to look at um the condition and the type of the property so you might be completely perfect as far as your job your income and all that good stuff and for some reason the the property does not conform so you may get the property may be the reason the loan gets turned down it's very rare but it does happen or you might have a title issue on the property that needs to be fixed in order for the loan to close so that may have absolutely nothing to do with you and the property itself is an issue it might be that there's peeling paint that needs to be rectified it might be that it underappraised and it's not reaching the value you need to get your loan so that would be the collateral piece the last of the three c's so what i think we'll do is i think that we have a nice overview about credit and budgeting and the three c's yeah. and down payments we're going to take a break and then when we get back in the break i think we should kind of touch upon a little bit about what's going on right now with this housing industry and the inventory and especially for people who are looking to be a first-time home buyers they're planning on getting married they're planning to settle down i mean where does this lead them <laughs> <laughs> well i have some good news so it'll be good trust all me. right all right I appreciate you being here. And hey, if you like what you're hearing, I encourage you to check out our website at sarahzarella.com. And don't forget, you can actually subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening so you never miss an episode. And I would so appreciate if you left a fabulous review on Apple Podcast. Even better, share it with a friend. It's a great way to show your support. And now let's get back to the episode. All right, well, welcome back, podcast friends. I'm here with my very good friend, Danielle, and we're talking all things mortgage and buying your first home and getting you prepared. I'm sure as a listener, it's a little overwhelming because you're planning your wedding, but this is a huge, like fun and exciting time in your life. You're planning your wedding, but also too, like you guys are getting married. You're going to settle down and have your first home and we're here to help you. And it's never too early to plan. No. Right? And I, we're here to help you like, set yourself up for the best possible success, you know, for getting your first and favorite and very important first home. Yes. So I know for the past several years, the housing industry has been so low. 
What can a buyer do to be a little bit more competitive right now in this crazy market that we're in? Yes, it is crazy. It has been insane for several years. And when we say the market is low, it's not the prices are not low. It's the inventory is low. The uh, the amount of houses that are available for you to buy is low. Hence why the prices are very high. Supply and demand. <laughs> it's all supply and demand, right? So it can be very frustrating if you you know find a home, you're in love with it, you put your offer in, and one after another, after another, after another, you get beat out by someone else. And that's unfortunately where we are in the market. Now, the good news is next year, because they are expecting interest rates to climb a little bit, um, they're forecasting, Freddie Mac actually put out their forecast for next year, and they're saying that they think rates might hover around 3.6 next year and then 3.9 the following year. Um, and then that um, the number of units in, like, say, past last year was 7.1 million unit, units, and they expect in 2022 to be about 6.9, and in 2023 about 7 million again. So the problem is what you have to select from and all the potential buyers that are out there because there's been so many home buyers or first-time home buyers sitting on the sidelines wanting to buy. So what you need to do is make your offer the most competitive that you can to make it outshine others because the seller is going to be sitting down with their real estate agent and they're going to be looking at different offers. And the highest price isn't always the winner because the most important thing is getting to the finish line. I was just about I was just about to say that. I'm like it's not about being the highest price. Right. It's about it's about having the whole meat and potatoes, which right. I'm sure you're going to explain. Right. So again, it's all about them actually closing. So Yeah, because how many times do you listeners probably are looking at a house or drive by and you see it says under contract and all of a sudden it pops back up. Yeah. It's for sale. <laughs> <laughs> it happens, you know. Unfortunately, it does happen because you have to get you have to get to the final approval for your mortgage loan in order to buy that house, right? So the most important thing is obviously to get pre-approved or even better get approved. And I'm going to explain a little bit about that. So a pre-approval, most of the times right now, because inventory is so low, they're not even letting you walk into a house without having a, a pre-approval letter. But there's many levels of a pre-approval letter. So the first one is, is there's certain online banks you can go in and you can say, my name is this, I make this much income this is my credit score, and that it spits out a pre-approval without you even actually speaking to a lender, right? So that level is very basic. There's nothing, no one's looked at your profile, no one's looked at your tax returns, your bank statements, stuff like that. Those are out there. And so real estate agents, a good real estate agent is going to know the companies that are that way. They're going to know the companies that are actually grabbing your tax returns, your bank statements, your pay stubs, reviewing everything up front, looking for potential problems, and giving you the time to fix it before you are in a situation where you're putting an offer on a property. So that's the first thing. The next level, which would be the highest level, is actually going through the underwriting process. So you would submit to me your pay stubs, your bank statements, all that good jazz. I would actually submit it to the underwriter who's the one that gets to make the final decision, right? They review everything. We get all the questions squared away and then the only thing that still would need to be underwritten is the property and the title which are basically seller problems if there's a problem yeah, right and just to dumb it down for the listeners i mean basically if you really are looking to buy a house you should do that because then they also they know what they can afford to put down like like 
Right. Like a they, real offer. Like like a real offer knowing that you're going to, you know, basically you're pre-approved. Right. And sometimes people have pre-approval letters from a year ago and they're running around and putting offers on properties and rates are different and programs right. may have changed and that doesn't exist anymore or that grant has now expired. And, and you're just wasting everybody's time. Wasting, and, <laughs> and yourself. And not just wasting everyone's time, but sometimes it's a domino effect of like six transactions. So you're not just affecting the seller. You might be affecting the person that their house they're buying, the next person's house, the next person's house. It can be And this is when you very start stressful. also too, I think, you know, if you're somebody that doesn't like to keep getting rejected, this is why you're setting yourself up for that feeling again of it not being approved. You're just setting yourself up for success if you can just be pre-approved because then it's they just know you're one step closer to a genuine offer. Yeah, but actually approved is better oh, that's than what I mean. pre-approved, right? Approved, so right. I could say, Miss, Mr. Real Estate Agent, I just want to make you aware this client is not just pre-approved. She's already gone through the underwriting process. She's approved. She's approved for this scenario. And if you have two, uh, think about it. If you are a uh, seller and you have two offers in front of you, a pre-approved and approved, you're going to go with the approved. Right. Right, because that means an underwriter hasn't looked at the tax returns, the bank statements, the blah, 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 the credit report, whatever it may be. And it may be something that the loan officer may have missed. Or when you provide the documents finally to the loan officer, they then see a glaring thing you didn't tell them about. Oh, I have a property in Florida I never told you about that may affect your debt ratio, whatever it may be. There's things that you don't always think of would be a part of the process that is, right? Not everything is complete common sense in lending. So what you may think would work or be a problem or not a problem isn't necessarily the way that lending works. So you need a trained professional to look at all this stuff. So Danielle, you talk about doing the pre-approved versus the approved. What about, tell us a little bit about working with a local lender and, and, and you know, a little bit about the good and the bad of working with these particular companies. Right, so- Real estate agents, again, like I mentioned, they're going to be sitting down with their seller and reviewing the offers and giving their opinion, right? So if you've been in the industry for a while and your name is out there and the agents know you, they know if your loans close, they know if you pick up your phone, they know if you avoid when problems come up or if you answer your phone and you work as a team to to fix whatever the problem is. And they also have had experience or bad experiences with certain lenders where they're not getting those phone calls. They're they're being avoided. They can't get the person on the phone. Um, and they they know who they like to work with. So being local is important because you, your reputation is out there, right? And they know your name and they know what you provide for a service. Um, and then also being local is important for knowing the local market. So you might be working with a national lender and your loan officer might be in Arizona and your underwriter might be in Texas and you're trying to talk about the difference between East Greenwich and Cranston. You know, So those things are all very important with making your offer stand out. So I would say that's the most important thing as far as being local. And you also mentioned earlier that higher price offers are not always the best offer. So let's speak a little bit about that. To yeah, so there's like an unspoken hierarchy that real estate agents are aware of. And it is, like I had mentioned before, it's about getting to the finish line. So certain products are more strict than other products, right? They have more, um, the seller may need to fix more things if it's FHA. 
Um, the income might be a little more tricky on conventional versus FHA. So there's different nuances. Or it might be that the seller is flipping a property, which means they bought it, they fix it up, they're trying to sell it within 90 days. Obviously, that's not a loan for FHA. So there's all different levels of approval. And obviously, we know cash is king, right? So that's number one. You got a buyer coming in that's paying cash with no contingencies. They don't need an appraisal. They don't need this. They don't need that. It is a done deal as long as you show that you have the the, the funds available. So cash is number one. And then the next one would be conventional. And then the next layer below that is, you know, FHA, VA, USDA. And then below that would be the products where you need a down payment assistance or you're doing 100% financing or you're doing a rehab loan. All of those types of scenarios, because you have less skin in the game, are a little more strict and there's a lot more rules to follow. So they're going to be look at the path of least resistance to make sure that that loan actually does get to the table. And also, too, I would think that something to do with timing could help also. I'm sure that like if you're a little bit more flexible with, you know, if you have to close within a certain time, sometimes that's not going to be in your benefit either. Right. So, you know, there's a misconception out there that like if you can close within 30 days, that that's going to be what every seller wants. But guess what? It's not. <laughs> you know, they may need 60 days to get their house straightened out and to move or or they're selling their house might be contingent on you know like like them finding a house right. right so being flexible is better now if you can close in 30 days and they do like maybe they just were in a transaction where their first buyer fell out and they have a timeline that they got to meet and so they do need to close within 30 days well if you keep in mind you've already been approved and all of your documents are all straightened out you're just waiting on title and appraisal and you're going to be able to close so again getting fully approved is much better than pre-approved and much better than just going online and punching in your information without anything being done. So basically, like, So you flexibility know, is king as far as that's concerned. So basically, like, you know, if you are have a ton of cash and can close whenever you want, you know? Right. <laughs> that's the best deal. That's the best deal, right? right. But if not, then get approved, mm -hmm. not pre-approved, mm -hmm. and then we'll go from there. So another strategy people do use is escalation clauses. So let's say you put in a bid for 300 on a particular house and someone comes in at 310 right after you and you got beat out, right? So an escalation clause says, I'm going to go X amount over up into this amount based on your best offer. So then it just stops that back and forth or you basically getting eliminated because someone came in higher than you. That's another, and that's a strategy that you could kind of talk to your agent about if it's something you were interested in or not. But there are a lot that I've seen over the last couple of years that are very dangerous situations. Ooh. People get so desperate to win a bid that they let go of control or things that they really do need, like, you know, waiving home inspections, especially if you're a first time home buyer and you're you don't have a family member in the industry that's a contractor or something of that nature. And you're waiving inspections and you've spent every last dime you did on the purchase and on the. Um, the closing costs, and then all of a sudden your boiler goes the first month. Yeah. Or... Uh, back up. You mean to tell me that the crazy world that we're in right now, people are waiving their inspections? They're waiving inspections. They are waiving appraisals. Oh. So in other words, you still Jeez. need to get an appraisal done to get your loan. But no, if, I know. I'm, just, I'm surprised right? that that's where we're at. Right? But they're basically <laughs> saying if my if it underappraises by forty grand, i am going to kick that difference in, in cash to buy this house. And then the the scariest one is when they're not making it contingent on their sale. So they're like very confident that their house is going to sell right away and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden something comes up. 
right? Uh, there's a title issue. They can't close right away. They can't sell, and they need to sell in order to buy. So they're literally waiving that to be more competitive. And that could be, you know, dangerous situation. You are in a legal binding contract where there are repercussions if you cannot perform. So these are all things that I've seen in this crazy world. And unfortunately, some of them are great ideas and some of them not so great. I would think, too, in like a time like this, people start to get really creative and you probably see a lot of interesting stuff. Yes. (laughs) Yes, you do. And, you know. If you think that you're going to get by something, you think you're going to sneak something in, these underwriters have seen everything. They have all kinds of behind-the-background systems that you are not aware of that they can check things. So you cannot leave off that you own another property. You cannot leave They're going to find it. So if it's been thought of before, they've found a solution on how to find it. So just don't even bother trying. (laughs) Fair enough, right? (laughs) Right, right. All right, Danielle. So in the beginning, you were talking a little bit about different types of down payments and you mentioned something about wedding money. Yeah. So, you know, obviously for our listeners, some of some of them, it's coming down the pipeline. They're they're waiting for those envelopes. Yes, absolutely. So the thing about down payment funds is they need to be sourced and seasoned typically. So if it's been sitting in your bank account for 60 days already, then it's no problem. But let's say you just got married or you're just getting those envelopes in and you're trying to use the down payment, uh, you're trying to use the wedding funds for down payment. They need to be able to show that you are in A, engaged, so you would need some type of you know announcement, whether it's on Facebook, and obviously it can't be the day that you're trying to use the funds, um, or a wedding invitation, whatever it may be. You actually do have to prove that you are getting married and there is a reason for these funds. So- The problem is, or the reason why, is there's guidelines about the seller not being able to give you funds towards your down payment. That's not allowed in any loan program. So in the years ago, there was a a scheme where they would inflate the price. The seller would slip the buyer the money for the down payment. And then it all became a scam because the prices were inflated in order for the seller to give the down payment. So the down payment cannot come from a seller or anyone involved in the transaction. So that is why they need to source and season the funds or find out where the funds are coming from and make sure they're an eligible source. All right, Danielle. So let's say for someone who's listening right now, yeah. they're marrying somebody that's a breadwinner. Yeah. What do they do to protect themselves? Right. So- I am not a financial planner, but I would strongly suggest, and this is one of those things that kind of always goes towards the wayside when you're doing all this planning because it's, you know, but to protect yourself, I can't tell you how many times where I've seen someone dies unexpectedly, they're the breadwinner, and now the wife can no longer afford the home or the husband can no longer afford the home, right? So obviously, life insurance, disability insurance, whatever you need to do to protect that income in order to be able to continue affording that property. That would be the answer there. And also, too, for our listeners, we did, back in August, have a financial planner Bria. on our show. Yeah, Bria. Um, so for our listeners, if you want to kind of take this to the next level, after listening to Danielle and I, tune into episode 13 and um, you can get a little bit of, we, we, we talk a little bit more about this situation about yeah. protecting yourself. Yeah. 
So with that, moving on, what about some trends that you're seeing a little bit in the inventory right now? Yeah, so with inventory being so tight, like we talked about before, and people losing out on bids, um, we are seeing like a lot of like family swap situations where let's say mom and dad want to downsize, they want to move into a condo, they want to go to Florida, whatever it may be. Kids buying house from mom and dad or an inheritance, whatever it may be. So in those particular scenarios, I would love for people to call me first because there's certain ways that you can structure them where let's say they were going to sell it, the market value of the house is 250, they weren't gonna sell it to their kids for 200. There is a way to do a gift of equity for that $50,000 difference, which is a paper gift. Obviously you need to talk to your accountant about the gifts uh, and the ramifications for parents. But then they avoid mortgage insurance, they get lower interest rates. Um, So that is a strategy that I can help people when they don't have realtors involved, I can help them you know, work up the purchase and sales, get them in touch with the right people. They know the steps they need to take and they obviously save a lot of money with commissions and things of that nature. And what we'll do for our listeners is we will have our show notes on sarahzarella.com backslash podcast where we can have all your contact information. Yeah, perfect. And, but before we get into the wrap up question and a little bit about what you can do to help everybody who's listening, can you tell us a little bit about what you see for next year? Yeah, so um, we talked a little bit about that already. So they're they're expecting the interest rates obviously to go up a little bit, 3.6 next year, the following year 3.9. Um, they're expecting it to level off slightly, but not much as far as inventory because when the rates go up, that takes some people out of the market um, so that hopefully inventory will open up a little bit. But it's not going to be drastically different than what it is now. It's just going to be that the interest rates will be a little bit higher um, in the next couple of years. They have to go up. They've been so low for so long. It cannot stay that way. So um, we are seeing them go up. And then just another thing that I will mention that during COVID, obviously people have also noticed that their homes are not functioning when they're working from home. Um, so they're do, a lot of people since that they have um, seen their homes appreciate quite a bit. A lot of cash out refinancing and a lot of home improvement is being done right now. So obviously, if you're interested in something like that, I can help too. So Danielle, for the wrap up question, there are a lot of lenders out there. Yes. So what are some key points that couples should be asking lenders to make sure that they are working with a professional that has experience? Right. So obviously products and interest rates, always important, right? You need to make sure you have the products available. You need to make sure the interest rates are competitive. But I also think, A, my reputation is you know, stellar in the industry. You can always look up my reviews on Zillow and, and on our homepage. Um, I also believe that a company needs to be high tech and high touch. So you want to be able to apply online and you want to be able to take a picture of your bank statements and it uploads right there. You want to so be like able to ease of sign. You want to be able to do all that stuff online, but you also want to be able to get someone on the phone that's not nine to five, that has your cell phone number and can call you on a weekend if there is a potential issue and can always get in touch with you, especially if there's an issue. You want it addressed right away. You don't want someone avoiding you, not returning your phone calls. So that would be some of them. Um, I also have a lot of technology where I will, I have email video, uh, you know, video uh, capabilities. So I find things get lost in translation when you get an email or t- or a message on your phone where I can do a good job explaining exactly what I'm looking for and why I'm looking for it. Um, all of these things are obviously extremely important. And then obviously my passion. You know, I do love what I do. I love helping 
families. Um, I do love helping families attain their goals, have their dream home, and watch for years to come, you know, what they're able to accomplish. And we stick with them because we do want them to be clients for life. I have clients that I have done loans for for 10 years straight, you know, not every year, but, you know, that come back and come back and come back. We have the technology, we have the tools, we have the teaching so all of that is important. Well, you all have 25 years of, of experience. So, yes. I mean, obviously for the listeners, yeah, you want to make sure that there's interest rates and products are there and everything. But I think, Danielle, you're bringing up a lot of good points. You also want to make sure that they there's ease of use. You're up to speed with the technology. You can dumb it down sometimes for people because sure. this could be very overwhelming. And that, you know, you're available not just 9 to 5. I mean, I, I know. I'm with Danielle. She's a friend of mine. And her she's, she's constantly on her cell phone, constantly on the phone, working <laughs> alone. That's right. You got to be available when it's happening, right? So, Danielle, I just want to thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of Wedding Secrets Unveiled. You helped our listeners become one step closer to their journey of a stress-free wedding planning, but also buying their house. Awesome. Thank you. I love that. Can you tell everybody how they can find you? Sure. So, again, my name is Danielle Gervais. I'm a senior mortgage advisor with Province Mortgage Associates. My cell phone number is always the easiest way to get me, 401-263-3551. They can also go on provincemortgage.com, and you can select me right there and ask to be contacted by me. So that's an easy way as well. Good. I was waiting for you to give out your cell phone digits. I was like, is she going to hold up to the test? I always give out the cell phone. <laughs> no, I know. But for our listeners, what I'll do is I'll have um, Danielle's uh, cell phone digits on our show notes, along with every way you can contact her. And you can find that on sarahzarella.com backslash podcast. Sarah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. No. Had a great time. I'm glad you joined us. Thank you for listening to Wedding Secrets Unveiled. I appreciate you being here. And hey, if you enjoyed this episode, I want to tell you something. I encourage you to check out our website at sarahzarella.com. We love photographing while having fun, of course. Check out our podcast page on our website for our show notes along with upcoming episodes with your local wedding experts. Listen in as we help you plan your epic event. And don't forget that you can actually subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening so you never miss an episode. I would so appreciate if you left a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Even better, share it with a friend. It's a great way to show your support and let us know what you think. If you know any wedding experts that would like to be a guest, we have a link directly on our website where they can let us know. Thank you for listening.